Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Scott Stedman Podcast. I hope you all are having a wonderful day today. And uh, joining me is my co-host, Micah Current. Micah, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. How are you? Oh, I'm I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. It was it was a interesting weekend. I mean, a short week last week with Labor Day. Uh, I got back from doing a um. I got back from doing a um. Oh, what you call it? A, a retreat. retreat. Yeah, it's, I'm not even up yet. I do apologize. A retreat, but then not only that, um, not only a retreat, but um, also um. Uh, Went up to visit my parents this weekend. Um, and there's also a lot of sports. I mean, we had regular season football, NFL start. We have World Rugby Cup start this weekend, too. So it was a great week. And just to sit on the couch and watch a lot of uh, competitive play, a lot of people hitting each other. So do you uh, the football season so far? I am. I am. Like, I was, you know, I knew that it was coming. And I kind of watched part of the, the NFL season opener. And I college has been on for a couple of weeks now, but like, um, I was going to ask you, do you ever feel like with the shorter weeks holiday wise, like when there's like a, a short week, like a four day week instead of, you know, a traditional five day week, do you ever feel like those weeks are longer? I was talking to some coworkers last week and, um, they, they were like, man, the, the four day weeks feel like they're longer because it feels like you're catching up. And then before you know it, the week's over and you don't feel like you're caught up and then it's the weekend again, but that's not a bad thing because you're, mm-hmm. you know, enjoy the weekend, but do you ever feel like that where the weekend is shorter? I do. I do. And I think especially like with me being the family minister at church, like Sunday. Yeah. Pretty much Sunday. It's like, I get up, I get dressed, I shower, I get dressed. I'm over at church setting stuff up. And then I'm there for two services with the hour in between the services to kind of do some more stuff. And then I take my, I get home, have lunch, take my son to guitar practice. And then I get back and then I'm setting up for youth in the evening. So like my entire Sunday, like I'm easily putting 14 hours in even more, depending on the day, 14 hours more on Sunday. And actually the next couple Sundays we're doing combined services because we're doing like this big, like, stewardship kind of campaign and kind of having this gathering of both of the services so that people who primarily go to one or the other service, they can see here's all the other people who attend the other service. Here's kind of the, um, plus they have like a new membership class. So then this was a, in the, and they just finished it. So they did like this big presentation of new members within the church and did like this thing, like, Hey, we like to, you know, well, we ask you if you would just be be willing to serve and love and do stuff here at Bexley IMS Church, and they say we do, and then the church does like a call and response. So it's um, it was something different, like something that I I haven't been used to in my tradition. So, um, yeah, but uh, traditions, traditions, yeah. Uh. Oh. I was waiting for you to bust out into Fiddler on the Roof with tr- the tradition. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So, uh, actually, before we dive in, uh, I do have some mail. 
<laughs> which we don't nope. get a lot of mail at the Scott Simmons podcast, but when we do, I think it's good to discuss. So last week with me being gone for the weekend, I posted like a retro um, podcast is one of my older ones, mainly because, you know, when we switched over from Podomatic to Podbean for our server, um, I only, even though I was paying for, even though I pay for both of them, like the uh, Podomatic, I could only have like, I think like two gigabytes. And then once I hit that medium, I had to like remove some of my older stuff. So now I'm trying to slowly pour everything back up on because I have unlimited on Podbean. So the last one, the most recent one I posted, which is episode 52, and we're on episode like 186, 187 at this point. But um, actually, I think it might be higher than that. I have to check. Um, But so appropriately, we talk about, it was called episode 52, National Anthem, NFL, and the Art of Disagreement. And it talked all about the kneeling and Colin Kaepernick. (laughs) So we had one person who, um, and again, it's been a long time since I recorded that. So I don't really remember too much, but one person asked the question, go, isn't one of the reasons that men and women fought and died for our freedom so that we had the right to protest? That was a question given to us. Um, You want to take that one? (laughs) uh, Well, man, I think, I mean, I think a lot of times here's the thing. When we think about the history of the United States of America, um, I think that's a hard. I think that's a hard topic because ideally, I want to say, well, yeah, like uh, the Revolutionary War, the whole thing, our Constitution. You know, we have the freedom of speech. We have all these different rights that we can do. So, for an example, um, with the uh, Writers Guild and the Screen Actors Guild, you know, they have the right to protest. They have the right to strike and they have the right to demand fair wages for, you know, whatever they are protesting at that moment or at that time. This I think this is the second writer's strike that I've at least remember, uh, one being in the early 2000s. But um, so at the same time, I do think that, yeah, you know, it is men and women fought so that they have the right to protest, they have the right to free speech. Um at the same time, we could go back to the Civil War. And there are people who wanted to, who are protesting, who wanted their rights to be able to own slaves. And some of them are like, nope, that's not going to happen. And that kind of broke out into a war. And then there was a lot of fighting, a lot of death. And then after everything's said and done, and after, you know, thousands of people died, it's like, okay, well, we're we're outlawing slavery now. We have the Emancipation Proclamation. You can no longer own slaves. But yet not everyone was on that same page and they just, you know, they just kind of were still not being fair in treating those who were of African Americans. So uh I don't know. Read I the, feel like I was gonna say, it, could you it, read it, the response again or the question again? It is, yeah, it, it is said, is it one it. of the reasons that men and women fought and died for our freedom so that we had the right to protest? So the reason why men and women in our military are fighting is to fight and die for our freedom so that we have the right to protest. Uh, I would say yes and. Yes and? Um, 
I would say, yes, they, they fought for the freedoms of this country and we do have the ability to, you know, what's our first amendment, right? The freedom of yeah. speech, the freedom, you know, of press and, and, and to, you know, uh, to protest things. I think, you know, there, there is a, a preconceived notion that when people protest, there's going to be violence and there's going to be anger and there's going to be, um, retribution. It doesn't always have to be that way, but I think over the last, uh, you know, a couple of years and, tw- you know, probably since 2019, 2020 to present, um, there's been this, um, almost like this tension and anger in our country and everything has to be violent. And you saw things when the George Floyd thing happened in, in mm-hmm. Minnesota, people were protesting and destroying, you know, small businesses and burning things to the ground. And, um, you know, it, it, that was coinciding with, with COVID and, people were like, well, if you're outside millions of people, not millions, like hundreds of thousands of people, you know, flooding the streets of the city, they're not wearing masks, but they can burn a building down. And it just made people, it it escalated COVID even more in a sense of like, people were questioning whether we should be doing things like masking and and social distancing. It made racial tensions worse in this country because it was like black versus white when it, it, it just made things a lot more difficult, but I think there is a way to, to peacefully protest your beliefs and you can do those things without being violent or being, um, you know, ignorant or, you know, show ill will towards somebody who disagrees with you. And I think that that's okay. And I think that that that's where I kind of lie with, um, and that's why our military died for us. Like my father-in-law served in the military for 30 years mm-hmm. and I appreciate his service. Um, and on the day that we record this podcast, it's nine 11 and I was watching the news early this morning and I can't believe that it's been 22 years since that's happened. Um, and I remember being in high school as a freshman and watching those planes fly through the world mm-hmm. trade center. And before you and I started recording, talked a little bit about president Bush, uh, George W. Bush at the time was the president. And, uh, he, I watched his documentary recently and he talks about, you know, I never dreamed in my wildest, uh, he's like, nobody ever dreams of it, but he's like, I never dreamed of being a wartime president. Um, he's like, I wanted to, to focus on our country and focus on education reform and focus on bringing unity to our country. And within a matter of an hour, I became a wartime president and it was Mm -hmm. just, our country was at war. And so like people were just, shocked and i you know god forbid anything like that ever happened again and and no i don't want that to happen and it shouldn't happen but um you know that was one of the few times in my life i don't know you know scott you're a little bit older than i am but like where our country really came together and just rallied around Mm -hmm. each other and we were we were shook we were really rocked and so you know to kind of circle back to the to the to the question at hand i you know, yes, I, I do believe in, in protesting. I do believe that um, our freedom is dependent upon the people that have died for us and served our country. But I think we should be able to do that in a peaceful and respectful manner. Yeah. And and I think that's, and I think, you know, kind of going to the theme of episode 52, which talked about the whole NFL, like, yeah, I felt like what Colin Kaepernick did was very peaceful and it was only for like a short amount of time but because it was during the national anthem people Mm -hmm. i feel like that was the thing like even though 
him and other people have said, well, it was about protesting police brutality of African-Americans here in our country. And that was the reason why he was kneeling. Everybody says, oh, he just doesn't like our men and women in the armed forces. He hates America. He hates. And it's just like, goodness, like I felt like even doing that at that time, like kind of like what you're kind of hitting at is that there is a way that you could do peaceful protests. But I feel like a lot of times, even when people do protest peacefully, it's like, you know, People just want to take control of the narrative and spin it. So if you can say, hey, here's what I'm protesting, you could do it with force, then, you know, you kind of already kind of left a little bit of interpretation out the window at that point because you're aggressively protesting in a way that people are kind of in knowing of what you're protesting and doing it by force, which scares people, which gets people to keep their mouth shut and get far away from the situation as possible. Um, should I mean, do I think that's fair? Like, no, I think peaceful protest is probably the way it goes. I mean, you can look at the way Martin Luther protested and the way Malcolm X protested, like two different schools of thought. And yet, you know, most of the time we're always talking about Martin Luther and we're barely talking about Malcolm X. He's like almost like a footnote to the whole civil rights movement in some ways. Um, Mm -hmm. so with that, without with mail call being, uh, but thanks for the question uh, about that. Um, now that mail calls out of the way, stories gone wild. And Michael, you told me before we recorded that you had a good one, so <laughs> I am waiting for it. Oh, I'm laughing before I even say it. Um, so I've shared before that, like during my transition to ministry a couple of years ago, um, when I walked away from serving in a full time role to more of a interim more of a, you know, volunteer or going to fill in in different churches that um, there's a group within the community that I live in that they're called like the EMA, the Edgewood Ministerial Alliance or Edgewood Ministerial Association, something like that, where basically they get together um, once a week and they just, they have lunch together and they do a Bible study together. And then they have like a bigger, like a bigger meeting that's longer uh, once a month and it's literally like every pastor from every church in our community and they get together and they talk about community outreach and they do community events and they do community um you know uh, church functions etc and so um pastor keith reisner is the pastor of edgewood baptist church which is uh, one of the churches in our community and scott like we're typical small town usa where i live I'm in a little uh, suburb between Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio. And, you know, we have one street in our community that goes all the way down and it connects Middletown. It's between Middletown and Oxford. Right. And so um, this one street is called State Street and State Street has all of the main churches on it for the most part. Right. You have Mm -hmm. the Edgewood Baptist, you have the Presbyterian Church, you have the Mennonite Church, you have Nazarene, et cetera. And so. um, I even though I'm not as active now because I went back to work full time for Miami, um, I still get the emails and I still go and attend community events when I can. And so pastor Keith uh, planted Edgewood Baptist 40 years ago. He's been the pastor of that church for 40 years, which is just an amazing story in of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, pastor Keith, I think has nine children and 
several of them are involved in the ministry in one way, shape, or form. So about a year ago, Pastor Keith decided that he, uh, with the Edgewood Ministerial Association, that he wanted to do this tent revival. And, you know, we've talked about camp meeting on here before. We've talked about NAC. We've talked about, you know, different conferences. Um, and we've talked about camp meetings, you know, specifically. But we've even talked uh, about revivals, too. And we've talked about revivals. So, like, he got the idea that we need to do this community revival. Okay. So he uh, got really excited. He's really excited. He wants to plan this. He's got all the community leaders involved, all the pastors involved. Got a speaker each night. You know, I think it's ten, uh, it started last night and it's going through Wednesday of this week. And so each night, a different worship team is leading. There, uh, there's a speaker. There's a prayer tent. There's, you know, X, Y, Z. So last week, I get this email. Here's the funny part. Last week, I get this email, um, which was not just to me. It was to everybody that is on that, that thread. And he was like something along the lines of, Hey friends, uh, I know that next week the tent revival starting, but with the tent revival starting, we're going to have sound and audio and visual equipment out in this tent, and we uh, we plan on leaving it there overnight. Would you consider volunteering a night to stay out there all night to watch the equipment? Uh, keep in mind, Scott, that the that the tent is in a in a field <laughs> right across the street from where pastor Keith's church is. So they could literally just set up and tear down every night and just move it across the street, lock it up, make sure it's okay. But the, but the email said our church is going to take the first night. We just need three more people to take over or to volunteer for the next three nights. And I told my wife that, and she's like, there ain't no way I would stay out there all night to watch sound equipment. Oh what would you do God. if you got an email like that? Uh, I would probably either A, not volunteer to stay out there all night, or B, I would say... I I'd, volunteer to tear, I, I'd volunteer to tear it down and take it back to the church. Or or at least, I mean, if, if I had like a, um, if I had a, uh, whatchamacallit, like a trailer, like a, like a lock Yeah, that you could lock it up, you know, during I'll the night. I'll just roll it in, lock it up. And then, like, and then again, if I know my stuff, and then I would just go and set everything back up, like I tear everything down, and then go back in the morning, set everything back up. But yeah, just to leave it out. Well, and then have volunteers stay overnight and just sit with that's, it all night long. Yeah, that's no, no. And so, and I love Pastor Keith. I think he's a wonderful human, but I don't know that he was really thinking that through. And then I was at the Presbyterian Church yesterday for worship. You know, my wife and I went to church. And we're walking out with the pastor and his wife. And I was like, hey, did you see that email from Pastor Keith? And he was like, the one about staying out all night. <laughs> I was like, yeah. He's like, I don't know what he was thinking. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> I'm not staying out all night to watch that stuff. Well, there you have it, pastors. Like, what do other pastors think about your e weird emails about staying all night watching sound equipment? They're like, we nope, that's a bad idea. Don't do that. <laughs> Instead of stories gone wild, we should just do emails gone wild, like the strangest oh, emails gosh. that we've ever got. So, oh, wow. So my mine is not, I guess mine's just kind of funny. Um, so, and again, it's been a long time since I've been in those, in these sh little tiny shoes. But like my son is growing. 
And the last time earlier in the summer, we went to Cedar Point and he could ride certain rides, but there was a good number of rides who couldn't ride because he wasn't tall enough. So after our retreat last weekend, um, we ended up going to Cedar Point on Labor Day. And, uh, and you know, we measured Peter and he's at a point where he could ride a couple more rides. So his main three roller coasters he wanted to ride at Cedar Point, he wanted to ride Maverick, Still Vengeance, and Gatekeeper. Now, my son likes to watch POV videos of rides so that he can kind of know experience what to expect. Kind of, kind of experience it, kind of know what to expect. So we get, so we have about a half an hour wait before we get into Maverick. We get on Maverick. We get in. And I tell Peter, I said, Peter, you do know that this thing's going to launch us at about 72 miles per hour. And we're just going to be going fast the whole entire time on this ride. And he goes, yeah, daddy, I know. I know. Okay. So we get in, we roll out, we get to the um, station where it charges you up and it launches you. And it launches us up this hill, and then we and that's the thing because the first hill it curves back in itself and then goes down, so it's kind of like an R. And the whole entire time we're riding this roller coaster, I'm having a good time. I'm like, "Woo, yeah!" And my son's going, "This is not like on YouTube. This is not like on YouTube. This is not like on YouTube. This is not like on YouTube." No kidding. <laughs> and he kept saying it the entire ride. And then we finally get to a point where we slow down because we have to hit the other thing where it launches us through a tunnel real fast. So he stops. And then when it launches us to that tunnel, it goes, this is not like on YouTube. This is not like on YouTube. <laughs> so then if we get off that ride, I'm like, okay, let's since Still Vengeance is right there. Let's go ride Still Vengeance. So we go, and there's actually a couple of, of my students that were going to ride. So we all went, and we waited in line. And then we had to stop. Because they're adding a new car to the track so that it can go quicker because the line was starting to get longer and longer. So we had to wait for like 20 minutes and then finally the line started going and then we finally got on the ride. And we get on this ride and we ride it. It's good. I asked Peter, how'd you like that ride? He's like, nope. (laughs) Well, and the thing was is because the air times, since he's smaller... He was getting up out of his seat. And then he like would and then he, like when it when, when it would come down, he would hit his butt real hard on the seat. And he did that a couple of times. So he didn't like that. I'm like, well, gatekeeper smooth is like, no, nah, I think I'm roller coastered out, Daddy. So he was done. After Maverick and Steel Vengeance, he was done for the rest of the day. Oh, but man. This is not like on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Well, I probably would be saying the same thing if I had YouTube when I was a kid. Anyway, I don't like roller coasters, so I, I feel um, them. You're like, yeah, nope. All right, so uh, today we're actually going to be talking about an article, and this is an article, Micah, that you happen to uh, find on LinkedIn from uh, one of your uh, seminary professors, and mm-hmm. uh, we'll try we'll put the website in the uh, notes from the show. So if you're watching this on YouTube or if you're seeing this through um, any podcast site, you should be able to see the link uh, to this article. But it's on a WordPress, so it's more of a blog. But um, this was published on the 31st of this year. And the title of it is Wesleyans and the LGBTQ Minority. And throughout this article, and it's a very quick read, it's a very short read, 
But uh, throughout this article, the author is talking about how within the Wesleyan traditions, they have always stood up for the persecuted minorities and have done that, have had a history of standing up for the minorities. And yet, when it comes to the LGBTQ community, um, it seems like that is not the case in uh, within Wesleyan churches, as they are reluctant to stand up for LGBTQ people, although the minority is a target of most malicious, verbal, and physical violence of our times. And really, the author is asking, well, why is that? So, Michael, what were some of you, since you shared this with me um, and thought it was interesting, what were some of your um, what were some of your thoughts when you read this um, when you read this uh, post? Well, so a couple of things. One, the you know, the Church of God Anderson, which you and I are ordained in, mm-hmm. and the Methodist Church are very close with Wesleyan roots, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so the first thing that was the first thing that really caught my eyes was I was like, oh, Wesleyan's in the LGBTQ minority. So I was like, hmm, I wonder, wonder what this is about. And so um, for clarity's sake, the United Methodist Church is the church that you work for right now. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. You're part of the United Methodist Church. Is you the free United? Yeah, what's the free Methodist Church? I'm not sure what the free Methodist Church is. I think that might have been something before the UMC. Because okay. the UMC was a merger of the Methodists and the um, United Brethren. That's how you have the United Methodist Church. Um, now, during the um, split that's happened recently in the UMC, it went from, you you now have the UMC, and then you have the Global Methodist Church. So the Global Methodist Church okay. is the ones, are the group that split off from the UMC um, during this most recent um split off or schism okay so the first uh the first two paragraphs of the article i'll read them really quickly churches in wesleyan tradition have always stood up for persecuted minorities the free methodist church owed its identity and its name to the com- to come uh, to combating slavery the salvation army and other wesleyan uh groups encouraged women to preach which you know church of god affirms mm-hmm women in ministry. And we've had that conversation yeah. on this podcast many times. Uh, and, and, you know, in fact, Scott, your church has a, as a UMC church has a, a lead pastor, who's a woman. Yeah. Um, it goes on to say all Wesleyan groups and John Wesley himself call for social justice toward the poor instead of co-signing uh, them debtors, them to debtors prison. Second paragraph says that here's a paradox. Wesleyan churches are now reluctant to stand up for LGBT. LGBTQ plus people, although this minority is a target of the most malicious verbal and physical violence of our time. Why? I don't know that I believe that. Mm. And I would go as far as to say is that we as Christians, we as pastors, we as leaders almost don't know what to do with it do with the topic of LGBTQ rights or Chaga firm or uh, affirmation of, of LGBTQ health people. Um, I, I, I don't think that we uh, know how to handle it because we as leaders live in fear of persecution. But I would go as far as to say as somebody who thinks that we need to call out sin for sin's sake um, you know, 
it's all over scripture, right? Paul was persecuted for his faith. Peter was persecuted for his faith. Those are just a couple of illustrations. I was sitting in the bathroom the other day, or I was shaving or brushing my teeth or something in the bathroom the other day. <laughs> You're sitting, you sit while you shave and brush your teeth. I, I do. I sit, I was sitting on, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I was, I was thinking about that and I was like, I probably shouldn't have said sit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like our good friend Trey when he was preaching and doing the, the invitation at the end of a sermon oh. when he when he said Shiva, which <laughs> if you want to know what that means, look it up um, or, or go back and listen to that episode. Uh, the you know, I was sitting in the bat. See, I was sitting in a bathroom. See, um, I was in the bathroom the other day brushing my teeth. And I just felt like I had this Holy Spirit moment. And it was like, you know, yes, we have to love people, but we I think we have a problem with. um calling sin for what it is. Uh, we, I, I think we, we can love people, but at the same time, we're not to be tolerant of people's sin. And that's, and that's me included myself. Like I shouldn't be tolerant of my own sin uh, because the Lord doesn't approve of that. Like, you know, I know that holiness is something we always should strive for. We talk about holiness a lot in the church of God, um, sanctification and other, you know, churches, grace, you know, and other churches, things like that. But I think that, you know, we get we get into this this comfort zone of like, oh, we just have to to love everybody and appease everybody, not love everybody in a in one way. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like we should we should love we should love people and respect people, but at the same time, love doesn't mean I have to tolerate or mm-hmm. approve of what you're doing. And if it's wrong in the eyes of God, it should be wrong in your eyes and wrong in the other people's eyes. But at the same time, I don't think we should be critical and we should be you know, mean spirited. And, uh, you know, I think that that, you know, with us, Scott, like we talk about that, you know, at certain periods of time where, you know, we, we talk about generational, like worship is a great topic, right. Mm -hmm. Where for years and years and years, our parents' generation and our grandparents' generation were like fighting us for like, Oh, we have to sing hymns and we have to do this and we can't do contemporary worship. That's the devil's work. Like not really the devil's work, but like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not like, Oh, we're, we're we're ruining the church because we're not singing hymns and it's not the theology of our faith and the doctrine and blah, 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 blah. And so like for years and years and years, and then like, it just felt like we lost that battle. And then like we split off and went to other churches or went to churches where they actually did that kind of stuff. We felt uh, accepted. And so I think kind of the same thing is happening with 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 LGBTQ plus that whole conversation. Um, people are going where they're approved or affirmed or welcomed. Um, and I'm not saying they're not welcomed in places. They just there may be different contingencies on people's churches, right? You may not be able to serve in a church. You may not be able to, you know, get involved um in, in different elements of the church, you may not be able yeah. to speak. You may not be able to do um, whatever, but then there's some churches that are like, absolutely. You can be, you can serve on the worship team. Absolutely. You can speak. Absolutely. You can be a life group leader. Absolutely. And, yeah. but again, circling back to the whole, when I started this, I, I don't think we know what to do as leaders because we're, we're living in fear, whether we want to admit it or not. I, I, th- yeah, and I think it's. I don't even know. And tell me I if agree. I'm completely off base with any of this. Like I, I, think, I, I think there's some. I think there's some people who 
you know, I think there is a little bit of a fear because there's always that, well, and, you know, it could just be, I mean, and throughout this article, there's, they talk a lot about, you know, um, some of the reasons is really how does one read the scriptures? How does one interpret the scriptures when you get to passages on LBGTQ issues? Um, mm. And they and even the author mentions like, you know, there's some the same argument was made against black people that, you know, that, you know, I mean, I've heard it. I've literally have heard interpretations when I worked in a factory in Cleveland that black people were from the sons of Ham, Ham which were cursed. Uh, some believe that the mark that Cain got was because he his skin was dark, so that was the mark, and that kind of fueled racist um, thing. Also, the scriptures that talk about women, and women can't be leaders because they're the daughters of Eve, and Eve was the first one to sin, even mm. though if you read the Hebrew and you read it kind of clearly, you kind of see that, well, it was mankind that sinned, not just the woman um so you, you you so there's a lot of so there's a lot of things when it comes to interpretation which i think is kind of the big um key about everything so when you may have a pastor who may over the years read scriptures maybe was very curious to find out okay especially within the wesleyans within the wesley movement you look at the wesleyan quadrilateral you know you have reason you have scripture you have tradition and you have experience so if so so if a good wesleyan is trying to figure out okay what do i do well i want to research the whole lgbtq issues and the church and they start doing this research and they finally get to a point where using their good wesleyan quadrilateral and they realize okay i believe i think that the bible can make clear I think there's clear things that we should be allowing those of the LGBT community that they have a place within God's kingdom. They have a place in the church. They should be able to worship and all this stuff. But yet you can look at your church's mission statement. You can look at your denominational's view on this particular topic and go, okay, what do I do? Because I feel like all the research and I maybe if it's a Holy Spirit moment or it's more of an academic moment where they believe this is the way I think we should go as a church. But yet our mission statement or our denomination basically has wording that says that that is not that is not allowed. And then you have that internal conflict. Um, and then I think and there's a the second half of this is they talk. Um, the author talks a little bit about sin. And he uses a quote from uh, Timothy Keller, and it's like, well, what, what, what will send you to hell? And it was self righteousness. And I feel hmm. like a lot of times, at least with the churches that I pastor at, or conversations I've had with people within the community, I almost feel like the whole self righteous thing is probably the sin that gets overlooked in people's lives. Because it's very easy for people to make the comment like, okay, well, I'm not, I know I go to church. I'm right with Jesus. You know, I gave my life to Christ at this age. So, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to heaven. But yet you look down on people. You look down on people who may be struggling with their faith. You may look down on the LGBTQ community. You may look down at other churches who, maybe more affirming of 
of LBGTQ or other pastors within your own denomination that specifically does not have a stance, who does a traditional stance on LGBTQ issues, and you have a different view, and you think, well, we should be affirming, you know, like some of the people who signed the petition on the uh, Kaga Firm website, and you can go, oh, well, those people, oh, oh, like, you know, there's that self-righteous kind of mentality uh, that kind of puts you up a little bit better, or I'm a little bit more holier than some of these other people, or, or I'm more biblically, or I'm more biblical in my interpretations than the next person within my own denomination or the person I'm sitting next to. And I feel like it's that self-righteousness that's really going to ding people because it gets to the point where they're so blinded by their own self-spirituality that it kind of clouds every other decision on how to love people and how to minister to people who are different than you or may have a different ideology than you do yeah and it's you know i've I've quoted the scripture a hundred times but like work your own salvation in a fear and trembling right like Mm -hmm. there it's 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 pretty common sense but you know back to the you know i can love people but not love what they do and my wife says that all the time. Um, mm-hmm. You can love your siblings and not love what, the way they act. You can love your parents and not approve of what they're doing, um, whether it's a health decision or whether it's you know X Y Z. You can love uh, your best friend but not approve that they're they're struggling with something like alcohol or you know drugs or, or pornography. Um, you can love um, you know folks whether they're LGBTQ plus or, um, you know, you name it, right? Because they're sinners just like you and I, because we were born into this world and you said Eve earlier, but like we were born into this world as sinners. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the point of salvation. That's the point of the gospel. That's the point of Jesus dying for us so that we could have salvation in him. Um, I, I do think that there, there does need to be some sort of like reconciliation path for those um, who are of that um, LGBTQ plus community, like I, I think that if they want to serve, if, if they're willing to, and I think it's a process too. We talk about salvation and sanctification and coming to Jesus. Like when you give your life to Jesus, it's not just like, oh, I'm just free of this. You may be, you may feel that, you may feel that um, relief in the moment, but it's a work in progress. And um, Scott, you and I both went through ordination in the church of God. And like, we have to write a paper on holiness, right? Yeah. Holiness is something we should strive for. It's not something we're ever going to be able to obtain in this life on earth, but we should strive to be, you know, one with Jesus. We should strive to live our life, um, you know, as the gospel tells us to, but realizing that we're not going to be perfect. And I think that there's a, you're smiling. Why are you smiling at me? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm listening. No, no, no. Because you, you bring up a good point. And I think this goes back to my point on interpretation. I, I had the same stance when I wrote my paper about holiness. And I remember when I was asked, when I had to go through my defense of my, you know, my 12 beliefs within the church of God, mm-hmm. one of the things I was asked about holiness, how practically do you practice holiness? Because as this pastor said, you know, my children, they believe that holiness is an impossibility. 
and that, you know, holiness has no factor in their life. And I'm thinking, well, what has what have they been taught about holiness? Because if they believe the be holy for I am holy, so I have to be just like Jesus and I have to be perfect and I have to do this. And that's kind of the message and the things that are being communicated, whether directly or indirectly, then, yeah, that's an impossible standard. Even the Apostle Paul always talks about, you know, how he's the worst sinner and how he has the thorn in his side. Like, I mean, but yet Paul always tried to strive to be holy if he boasts about anything. Sometimes he boasts about certain things, but most of the time he boasts about Christ. And I think that's kind of the big thing with holiness. And I think even with holiness, holiness sometimes can lead to self-righteousness. Well, look, I'm living a good life. I'm living just like Jesus. I'm doing this and I'm doing, I'm the perfect Christian. So look at me, I'm holy, live up to my example as I, you know, follow Christ's example, you know, take Paul's words out of his mouth. And, you know, I think kind of your view on holiness and my view on holiness is similar. But when you think about other people's teaching on holiness and how other people have interpreted it, it could be totally different. Hmm. And by that, and but those differences can lead to things like, well, women can't be pastors because they're the daughters of Eve. You know, we're not going to be supportive of African Americans because they are part of the children of Cain or the children of Ham. We're not going to support LGBTQ because they're, you know, as the King James Version calls them, abominations. So, you know, which, you know, I feel like with even with that word, people interpret that word as that's like the second unforgivable sin, blaspheming the Holy Spirit and being LBGTQ. Those are like the two like egregious sins that you can't be forgiven for, which has caused a lot of damage and a lot of hurt and has even led to a lot of people committing suicide within the LGBTQ community. It's like, well, if I, if there's no way for me, for God to love me, and there's no way for me to be saved, and I'm constantly being persecuted and beaten up and have violence against me, then what's the point of living? Hmm. And I think when, um, and I remember years ago when I was reading through the book, um, What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey, you know, talked about Mel White and Mel White being in the evangelical circles, being the editor-in-chief of a lot of Pat Robertson and Jerry Falwell's books. And yet this guy was a closeted homosexual. And even after he came out, there's this story where he was in a was in a limo with Jerry Faldwell. And Jerry Faldwell was on this big campaign about anti-LBGTQ. And um and Mel White said, Hey, I'm not going to tell you what you should believe and what you should not believe, but but tone it down a bit. Because there's a bunch of people in Lynchburg, a bunch of people in the LGBTQ community that were killing themselves because they're hearing this strong, aggressive, you know, anti-LGBTQ propaganda that was coming from Jerry Falwell from Liberty University. So Jerry listened to it and he started to tone it down. But then his listeners, the people who were sponsoring him, the people who were giving money to the university, they're like, hey, you've gone soft on this issue. So then what do you do? You go back hard so you can get those donations and you can get that money to fuel your, you know, your ministry empire. Mm. And I'm like, yeah. oh, crap. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah, there's so many ways that you could go with this conversation. And I think that, you know, we. 
you know, and I'll say it again, you know, I think that we, we live in fear because we don't, we really just don't know what the right answer is. Like if, 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 if somebody comes to your church, who's a homosexual and they give their life to Christ, that's a win. However, I don't think that people, I think some people believe that when they do that, then they're just going to stop living the way they were. And that the, like, it's just going to be automatic. And for some, it may be right. It, it, it may be just this whole um, reconciliation moment that, the, you know, they talk about in second Corinthians five, Paul talks about in second Corinthians five, the ministry of reconciliation. Um, but for some, it may be a struggle as you're talking about, it may be a lifelong struggle to act on their feelings, whether it's towards the same sex or not. Um, and then you get into the whole politics of the church. Okay, a homosexual comes to your church and gives their life to Christ. Can they serve now because they believe in Jesus? Well, well, no, they're still homosexual. Well, but they gave their life to Christ. Like, yeah. th- there's this whole other conversation that people aren't willing to have because they don't know what to do with people that are different than they are. And yet, and, and yet, and, and yet, you could have people who struggle with greed. Mm-hmm. And flaunt their money, whether if it's just not like necessarily waving dollar bills when they enter the church, but just the way they dress and the way they present themselves and the way sure. they talk about their career and their second house or whatnot. And we can have them serve on leadership boards because they, have they give money. their lives to Christ, but yet they still have lots of money. Greed's still an issue with them, still kind of a struggle with them. I don't think they would call it a struggle. And yet we allow them to serve on our financial committees. Mm-hmm. So it's our job to lead people to Jesus first and foremost as pastors. And then secondly, it's to care for them and to figure out how we can walk this life with them. Right. Is that fair to say? Yes. Okay. So a couple of weeks ago at work, um, I've shared openly that I work at at Miami university and and Oxford, Ohio and, and Oxford is a, is a cool little college town. Right. And it's more of the, I would say it's more liberal than than it is conservative, like the the, the actual city of Oxford itself, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of funny for you know rural America. Um, yeah. It's in the middle of a cornfield in Southwest Ohio, um, about forty five minutes outside of downtown Cincinnati. Uh, but a couple of weeks ago, um, Ohio had the special election on issue one, mm-hmm. and uh, it got shot down, and conservatives wanted it to win. Um, I didn't vote on it. I didn't really read up on it. I know, I know more about it now, but it's happened. Um, and I walked into my office that morning and one of my coworkers said, uh, they were talking to some other folks about it. And then they looked at me and were sorry. They they looked at me and said, they said they were sorry. And I was like, why are you sorry? Like, well, because you're conservative. (laughs) But you're laughing, you're laughed harder than that. Then my story has gone wild. Um, But I was like, it's not because I'm a conservative. And and I said, to be honest with you, I'm just getting tired of the whole government conversation. I'm getting tired of people that are old and don't want to actually do anything with our country and better humanity um, that are just sitting in office to get a paycheck. I'm just getting really tired of that conversation. And she was surprised. And so I have a point in this. So yeah. we go on uh, to have a, a much deeper conversation. Um, and I said, you know, while I, you know, live you know somewhat in the conservative camp i am willing to have conversations whether it's about abortion whether it's about guns whether it's about lgbtq you know like i'm willing to have those conversations and she was really surprised by that and so she goes on to say um 
we had a conversation about LGBTQ plus and I told her a little bit about the Chaga Firma thing. And I told her a little bit about what the church of God believes and almost, you know, the LGBTQ thing as, as it stands right now. And, um, I don't know if she goes to a Lutheran church or Episcopalian church, mm. but their church is very affirming in, in LGBTQ. Yeah. And so, uh, she was getting ready to leave to go to another meeting. And she was like, so, you know, does your, does your church welcome LGBTQ plus people? And I said, yeah, she's like, well, can they be members? I'm like, well, we're non-denominational. Uh, yeah. so we don't really have membership. We believe that if you're, you know, born again, if you believe that you're a Christ follower, that you're a member of the church. And she's like, well, can you marry people that are gay? And I was like, no. And she's like, well, what happens if you were to do that? And I said, I would lose my license. Yeah. And she was just shocked, Scott. She was shocked that I would lose my license if I were to perform a wedding ceremony for those of the same sex. And I said, well, that's, yeah, go ahead. I was like, well, that's just what I, that's what I believe. And that's what I signed up for. And that's what the church I'm ordained through believes. And I knew what I was getting into the day that I signed up for that. And I'm saying, I told her as she walked away, I was like, that may change. And I don't know, I don't know what I'll do at that point, but that may change in the future. So, Mm. you know, and I told, we were having the, you know, I said before the the Chaga Firm conversation. Um, But I said, as it stands right now, I, I can't do that or I would lose my credentials. What were you going to say? No, I was just saying, because um, actually I had, a, I usually have every two weeks, I have a game night with some uh, some of my friends in the area. And one of my buddies who went to Anderson for undergrad and had a lot of friends who went into the ministry. Uh, he was saying that at least he knew of at least two of his friends that lost their credentialing because they were pastors in Indiana and they signed the Church of God Affirm petition. No way. Yeah. But they had a conversation with... Uh, their state credentials uh, team. Their state credentials team, and they got their uh, credentials pulled. Now I don't know if they're, and now I don't know if they're going to, you know, according to what Josh Brandt said in that when him and uh, Jim were talking, like I don't know if they uh, were going to uh, dispute that because that's that's something they can do. But I mean, if what my friends, if my friends' information is correct, which you know it could be hearsay at this point, because. You know, I have no way of checking it except taking it for his word. But um, if that's the case, then um, yikes. <laughs> well, and didn't didn't in Jim Lyons, this is a whole different separate conversation, but didn't in Jim Lyons thing, like his town hall or the whatever he did uh, say that folks, you know, it was basically up to the states. It was. It's up to the states. And then if you want to dispute that, you can. Mm hmm. So folks are losing their credentials now over that because they signed a piece of paper or because they put their name on a piece of, yeah, they put their name on a document. So, yeah, but well, I I don't want to get mad or fired up, (laughs) But, but like, but like, it just feels like, like, so Jim gets on this town hall, Jim's our general director. And says, as of right now, that the biblical definition of marriage is between a man and a woman, which I, I agree with. But then he goes on to say he's going to kick it back to the states to make the decision based on their credentials teams. So, like, yeah. you could literally, depend upon, you know, dependent upon the state that you live in in this country, could lose your credentials based on what they believe. He just said that the church doesn't support that and that the, the biblical definition of marriage is between a man and a woman, which, again, I agree with. But now you can 
you know, let's just say, for example, Indiana, we'll just use that because you said that, right? If if that, like, again, this is all dependent upon the fact if that's true or not, that those folks yeah. lost their credentials, right? Let's just say you're in Indiana and you signed the Chaga from website and you lose your credentials. Okay. Let's just say you're in California or Oregon or Washington or Utah or Colorado. Or I don't know. I'm or a major random, city or like you're in a major city. I'm naming random, you know, states yeah. at the moment. Or, yeah. you know, let's, let's just say uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. And you don't lose your credentials. So, like, do I just leave and take a church somewhere else that's that that's going to affirm what I believe? Yeah, it gets it really, that, really muddy. It is. It gets muddy. Or, I mean, it gets muddy because then what do you do? Like, because then, I mean, you could even build a case. I mean, I think it's tricky because you can even build a case. It's like, okay, well, I know these people signed it, but aren't we a movement? They still have their. They still have their. Oh. <laughs> You're you're literally you're yeah. literally disbanding your movement, right? I'm getting mad. Literally yeah. disbanding your movement, saying that we're, you know, letting individual states and organizations decide the fate of your credentials. Yep. Yep. Right. Yeah. Um, and again, I I agree with Jim that the biblical definition of marriage is in in God's eyes is between a man and a woman, but yet. He's going to shove this issue off on the states to make those decisions. And based on where you live politically, right, different parts of this country are more affirming and more uh, allowing, let's just say, of, of same-sex LGBTQ plus rights. And depending on where you, dependent, dependent upon where you live, you could lose your credentials or not. Well, I mean, and let's just, let's just take the whole LGBTQ issue off the table. When I left Virginia and I had a conversation, I said, you know, I told them where I was working and they said, oh, are you seeking ordination with the UMC? And I said, absolutely not. And I even said, they don't want me to. They don't because, you yeah. know, they're a whole appointed system. They want to have someone who has consistency there and they're OK with me being a Church of God guy working in a UMC church. And they're fine. And they're absolutely OK with that. And they said, OK. And the response I got from the credentialing team was, OK, I know Church of God doesn't like having people have dual ordination, which I don't know any church that's happy with dual ordination, but from their understanding, it was okay. But if I have a meeting with, you know, the head of the credentialing board in central Ohio, and as I have that conversation with them, they may see things totally differently and I could lose my credentials too. It's a possibility, even though I'm not seeking ordination in the UMC, it is a possibility that I could lose because their view is different than Virginia's views. It's like they because there's no can of worms. Because if you're doing it, because that's the thing, if you're doing it just by state and what the state thinks or what the state credential committee, that can that can change depending on a variety of factors. But I know that's getting off our topic today. Well, and take it, take it, take it a further, take it one step further, and I'll and I'll we'll just land the plane after that. But like, yeah. let's just, let's just say the Church of God moving forward affirms this. What let's just say Chaga firm gets on the ballot in two years at NAC and it gets footing and it gets enough signatures and it gets this, that, and the other, and they vote and it's a, it's approved. How many pastors are you going to lose because they don't agree with it? You know what I mean? Are you tracking with me? Like yeah, how I many, do. how yeah. many, how, how many pastors are going to surrender their credentials because they don't agree with it? 
I've had people talk, you know, text me and call me, and we've had separate conversations about this whole Chaga Firm thing. And they they said that they would literally surrender their credentials the day the Church of God affirms Chaga Firm. Hmm. So like yeah. it's it's it's. I feel like they've opened the can of worms either way. And but uh, but how many people would? But here's the thing: if we if that gets on the ballot, it goes to General Assembly. Mm-hmm. And everybody votes in favor of keeping the traditional stance that the Church of God has always held. How many people who are CHOG affirming, who've signed that document, who are pastors, who haven't lost their credentials yet, are going to be willingly turning their credentials because of that? It's messy anyway. It, it's messy. It. It's really what we're describing is it's messy. And and kind of going back to this whole discussion we were having before, you know, a lot of it always goes back to interpretation. And one thing that I have learned over my years is that it's always best to do interpretation in community. If I can read the scriptures and I can talk about things with other people, maybe people may have a different view or different interpretation of scriptures. There's a wealth of information in kind of knowing that. And I was just thinking, you know, I was thinking about the story of the uh, in John where the woman was caught in adultery. And over the years, my that what I have always been taught is, you know, Jesus forgave the woman that was caught in adultery. There had been evidence. I've heard evidence and people say certain evidence that this woman was innocent. That, you know, she was just kind of being a pawn in some ways for the Pharisees to trap Jesus so that they can like, you know, stone him or do whatever. And yet there's a part of me that goes, okay, what if this woman did commit adultery? What if everything was true? She was caught in adultery. Everything was completely true with what the Pharisees were saying. Would Jesus still respond the same way? Would he still continue to show mercy? Would he still continue to show forgiveness? And if I believe that Christ would still show forgiveness, even though she did commit adultery, I still think that if Jesus was writing everyone's sins in the sand, I'm sure he was probably writing about all the self-righteousness within all the Pharisees and everybody in that room who was judging this, this woman, whether she was innocent or guilty with the sin that she committed or the sin she didn't commit. So if I interpret it that way, then either way, depending on if she was innocent or guilty, if I still think Jesus would still continue to show mercy and not condemn her, then I think that's a very powerful, I think that shows a very powerful characteristic of who Jesus is and who Christ is. Hmm. But again, I wouldn't be able to get to that conclusion if I wasn't having a discussion with other people who saw that same passage under a different lens Mm -hmm. and still kind of highlight the same kind of truth that I kind of come and walk with the conclusion. It's just more of a heightened truth now. So I think when it comes to the topic of the LGBTQ minority, should we be, should the church stand up and especially, you know, especially at the beginning, you know, this is a group that's been persecuted and has violent acts towards, should we stand up, should the church stand up for these people and be a voice for these people? And it's like, well, I think in some ways, yeah, but it also depends on your church tradition and how you read the scriptures. And I think that's always going to lead to why there's always going to be different points of view and why sometimes things can get a little bit messy when it comes to 
uh, certain groups and when we start using the Bible to kind of dictate how we should minister, love, advocate, etc. with certain groups based on what the scripture says about them or doesn't say about them. Yeah, I think that we we just need to be extremely careful, but we also need to be willing to listen and to have conversations. Um, but I also I also hate that it's it's come to this where you have to be like in fear of like looking over your shoulder, um, regardless of the side that you're on uh, as leaders and pastors. Like, oh, you can't be a leader anymore, or you're losing your credentials. Um, you know. It's a it's a really interesting topic, and that could be a, a whole separate podcast, Scott, about just credentials and and uh, I've served in a non denominational church for almost a year. You know, the larger church that I worked at, and they I didn't have credentials through them, but I had credentials through the Church of God, and they acted like they didn't even care that I had credentials that I went through this mm-hmm. whole process of being ordained. But I also served at a Baptist church where they were really open to the idea that I was ordained in the in the church of God, but also asked me if I would be willing to, if I were able to, they had interviewed me for that position at one point and was like, would you be willing to, 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 to go through the Baptist um, ordination process? And I was like, no, if I, if I were to take this role, I'd probably keep my credentials because I worked hard for them. And I, you know, my theology and stuff hasn't changed uh, enough for me to, to want to change the, you know, change my certificate or change my ordination background or change, you know, or better yet, go through a whole nother process. Right. Because, um, you know, I don't know how long it took you, Scott, but it took me over three years to get mine. And so, uh, same thing when I worked for the Nazarene church last year, they Nazarene is very close church of God, uh, with, with again, like this article we covered Wesley and holiness movement, very close in theology, very close in beliefs, uh, mm-hmm. but their process is, is, is pretty rigorous and takes longer than what ours does. And I'm like, I, I ain't doing it again. Why would I like, it'd be like you go in to get your doctorate, Scott. And, uh, and in like five years, you're like, mm, I'm going to get a doctorate in something else, but it's close to what I already did, but they wouldn't transfer any of your credits in. Right. So yeah. like it, it's, it, no, it, it just gets really, really hard and difficult and muddy. So it does. Um, I think we've ran it enough for today. What do you think? I think so too. So I don't friends, want to say ranted. Yeah. I think. I think that's <laughs> so, friends, word. thank you so much for listening again. So, we'll have that link in the uh, in the bio. So, feel free to click on that and read the article for yourself. There's also a link inside that article that kind of kind of go to kind of a breakthrough of you know what does the Bible say about homosexuality, um, which is the title of it, and um, kind of really goes down and really breaks it down to the different interpretations with LGBTQ issues. So friends, thank you so much for listening. Again, we appreciate your comments and your feedback. Um, And we'll be back on with another episode. Take care.